is uh, Christmas Eve by Ro Christina Rossetti. Christmas hath darkness brighter than the blazing noon. Christmas hath a chillness warmer than the heat of June. Christmas hath a beauty lovelier than the world can show. For Christmas bringeth Jesus brought for us so low. Earth, strike up your music, birds that sing and bells that ring. Heaven hath answering music for all angels soon to sing. Earth, put on your whitest bridal robe of spotless snow. For Christmas bringeth Jesus brought for us so low. Good morning and Merry Christmas. Christ has come. I can tell you, I can't tell you how aware I am of standing in a pulpit and giving a sermon on Christmas morning. In many ways, this day is like any other, but in other ways, it is a day of days. What I say to you this morning doesn't carry any more or less significance if I were to give this sermon on another Sunday that wasn't a holiday, but then this isn't just another holiday, though our culture has made it so. This is the day we celebrate the God of all creation, the one who is high and lifted up, whose vocal cords spun the stars, planets, and moons into existence, who made all we see and all of who we are became human. God became matter. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. How do we not go, wow, when we hear that statement? So I say Merry Christmas to everyone. This moment in Luke's gospel we are reflecting on this morning is probably one of my favorite moments in all the scripture, certainly in the gospels. This did not become so until I was in college and had rededicated my life to being a pilgrim of the rabbi carpenter from Nazareth. It was there that I became aware of a significant theme that was infused in the Bible for almost, from almost its inception. We love collected themes. We need big ideas to survive. Whether we see them clearly or indirectly, our souls need things for our lives that are large from which to hang meaning and purpose. The Bible is full of them. The Bible itself, itself is one. But to give you an example of some big ideas that are in the Bible from the beginning to end, let me give you two examples. God's restoration of his creation to himself. Genesis 1, all things are created. Genesis 3, there is a major, seemingly unalterable break of that creation. Genesis 4 to the book of Revelation is the playing out of that theme, referencing the ultimate restoration of his creation in Revelation in the new heaven and the new earth. Another example would be the concept of the Lamb of God. This is a very present and powerful theme throughout scriptures. It starts indirectly in Genesis 3 when God provides clothing for the recently disobedient Adam and Eve. God would have had to have slaughtered something to do that. We don't know if the slaughtered were lambs, but the image of an animal sacrifice became the image of the Lamb of God. In Genesis 20, we see Noah build an altar and sacrifice animals on it after the flood had subsided. In Genesis 22 is where we see the image of the lamb as the sacrifice begin. 
This is the passage where Abram is commanded by God to take Isaac and sacrifice him to Yahweh. While Abram and Isaac are on their way to the place where that is to occur, Isaac asks why we, they have everything for a sacrifice to Yahweh except the lamb. Where is it? And Abraham famously replies, God will provide a lamb. Israel sets up the tabernacle and temple system wherein the sacrifice of lambs is present. Fast forward to the first chapter of the Gospel of John, and we have John the Baptist crying out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world as Jesus approaches him to be baptized. And in the final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter 5, there is a moment where John sees a scroll that is sealed seven times over. And there is a search as to who can unseal that scroll. John looks and sees this, starting in verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. This is one of the four times this person referred this person referred to is referred to as a lamb, who is Jesus, and is referred yeah, is referred to as a lamb. This theme of a lamb is great in the Bible and it's Bible wide. But this Christmas morning, I want to address another of the Bible length themes that brings together the breadth of Scripture, like the theme of the restoration of God's creation and the sacrificial lamb. This theme I was introduced to way back when I was in college, my sophomore year. It is something that immediately captured my mind and imagination and has since the late 80s has captured my heart and soul now. I think about it and see it often when I read the scriptures. It is on an unavoidable theme. It is a theme altogether fitting for a Christmas morning sermon and is right here in the words of the faithful Simeon and in the actions of the prophetess Anna. Simeon's song says this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation for the Gentiles and for the glory of your people, Israel. These words would have presented a level of consternation, perhaps, in the ears of first century Jews. Some of it would have sung to their souls, God's salvation prepared in the presence of all people, and it being the glory of Israel. What would have needled their minds a little would have been the line, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. This was challenging, to say it politely. Gentiles were everyone not Jewish, the rest of the world, the nations. And it, is indica- it indicated a struggle that the Israelites, the Jews, had with this overall theme I'm addressing this morning. They were, after all, under the rule, under the oppression of a Gentile empire. But I will speak more of this later. So what is that theme? And how is it reflected in Simeon's words? I'll answer this first question immediately and allow the answer to the second to come in time. The theme, blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. God, to accomplish his plan, his tasks, blesses a group of people who are in turn to bless the rest. Blessed to be a blessing. It's in these words of Simeon. If you don't see it, let me continue and perhaps it will come into more focus. A good place to start would be where this theme clearly begins. And for that, we must go to the Old Testament, to Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in all, and you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here we have the first clear statement of blessed to be a blessing. God says it to Abram. 
God says to Abram to leave his country, all that is familiar, and go where God shows him to go. And in that, he will bless Abram in many ways. The result of this blessing of Abram will be that he and his people will be a blessing to the families, sometimes translated nations of the earth. This morning, I want to look at three things that from Simeon's song and Abram's encounter with God. I want to look at the blessed, I want to look at the blessing, and I want to look at the shall be blessed, or being a blessing. As we go through this theme, I think Simeon's response will be seen to be entirely appropriate as it was glorious. The moment of this old faithful follower of Yahweh, trusting the God he has in his entire life, suddenly seeing the reality what he had trusted in faith, and breaking into song in a very moving is very moving to me. So let's go further. What about the blessed? Simeon mentions it when he says, The glory of your people, Israel. In Genesis 12, it is clearly stated when God says to Abraham, I will bless you. What is interesting here is that Abram is not a people per se. He is one person representing a small group of people, his family. And yet God says to him, he will make Abram a great nation. So God is starting with one man, one family to make a nation. We have to ask at this point how it got to this point and why God chose Abram and not another. So how and why? How, you have to look at the context. And for that, you have to turn back the previous chapter to Genesis 11, which in verse nine, 1 through 9 says this, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. That's where the nations came from, from that previous chapter. We don't know how much time span there was between verse 9 and chapter 11 to verse 1 and chapter 12. But there was probably a good long time for people to spread out over the whole world. And you see a very interesting little activity that God does here. It's actually a military strategy. It's called divide and conquer. If you have the ability <coughs> to draw this uh, or to think about this in your own mind, but you take a shape, a square, a circle of oval, maybe make it one to two inches in size. This is an image of what the people of God looked like, or people of earth looked like in Genesis 11. Sometimes I've drawn just an oval, a simple oval like that. And that's what the people looked like at the beginning of Genesis 11. Then, as the time went on and they were building their city and their tower, God then comes down and sees that there's not an evil that they will not be able to do. So he divides them. 
And if you take your shape and draw it and divide it into various shapes, that's what Genesis chapter 11, verse 9 is. God divides the one people. So they can no longer talk to each other and understand each other. They must divide up into their groups, into the languages that they understand. That is the military strategy of divide and conquer. This was the divide, Genesis chapter 11, verse 9. The conquer started in Genesis 12, verse 1, where God enters in and he chooses one of these shapes. So take your shape and you just randomly choose one. Okay, that will be the shape that we will bless. And you have to ask, why? Why that shape? Why did you choose that one? It's not really a why because God is involved here. Why did he choose Abram? I have no idea because I can't really know the mind of God. But why did he choose him? Was it because perhaps Abram was richer than the other people around him? Was it because perhaps he was healthier? He had more physical stamina. He was stronger than those around him. Was it because he was better looking than those around him? Was it because he was more intelligent than anyone on the face of the earth? We can't know from our readings and other places in Scripture what God's mind was in this, but we do know this about Scripture. God is no respecter of man or human beings. I think he chose Abram simply because of his good desire and will. Based on no favorable characteristics of Abram, he chose Abram because he was glad to choose Abram. If God had done it for one of the reasons I mentioned, intelligence, health, riches, good looks, then it could have been said that it wasn't all God's doing to be a blessing. It was the doing of the people involved as well. One thing is clear about God's choice is that he was consistent. This idea of him blessing a people so that other peoples would be blessed was not just uh, made to Abram. I'm going to go through most of these quickly, so I'd suggest you could write them down or think about them more later as I, and look at them more closely. But God repeated this promise multiple times in multiple ways, both by word and action. He said it not only to Abram in Genesis 12, but he also sent it, said it amongst himself as he was reflecting on his meeting with Abram right before Sodom and Gomorrah when God says that he will make Abram a great nation and bless all other nations through him. This is in Genesis 18, 18. Then in Genesis 26, 2 through 5, God repeats this statement to Isaac, the son of Abram. He says, I'm going to bless you, Isaac, and I will make you a great nation, Isaac, and all peoples will be blessed through you. Then you begin to see... It again, you see it again in Genesis 28, 12 through 15, where God repeats this statement to Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abram. He repeats it in his dream when he has that dream about the ladder or the stairway to heaven. And God says to him, I'm going to make you a great nation and I will bless you. It's interesting that in this time, the way the God of the Bible, the God of the Israelites was referred to was what? The God of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. So this was like saying, these are the founding fathers of our nation. That is the God that we follow. So it's significant that God repeated this over and over again to the founders of his nation. 
Then you begin to see it how, of how God arranges circumstances to fulfill this promise, blessed to be a blessing. In Genesis 37, through the end of the book of Genesis, in chapter 50, we have the story of Joseph. We've preached on this in our history. A familiar story. Joseph is spurned by his brothers and sold into slavery. After years of adversity and persecution, God blesses Joseph, who becomes the second most powerful leader in the world in Egypt. And in the middle of this story, at the height of Joseph's power, this little set of verses appears. This is what it says. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. Was Joseph blessed or not blessed? He was blessed. He was one of the blessed people. And God brought brought all the peoples of the earth to the foot of Joseph because they wanted food. God bringing the unblessed to a blessed person, blessed to be a blessing. Look at another arranged circumstance, David and Goliath, very familiar story. The Philistines come against the Israelite nation and a champion comes before the Philistines who is... What, nine feet tall, I think? At least, maybe taller. And he is, calls out their champion, and they are too afraid. The Israelites are too afraid. And then small little David gets a little upset that this unwashed, unclean, uh, pagan Goliath giant would make these statements about Israel and about God. And then, so he takes up stones and without armor, this little, probably about six, five foot kid takes these stones and he goes up to Goliath. And this is what he says in verse 46, chapter 17. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. Listen that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Kind of a rough outreach for the Philistines, but nevertheless, it was an outreach for the world. God brought that about so that people would know God had blessed Israel, and this was God's way of blessing the rest of the world through the nation of Israel. Let me give you one more. Daniel in the lion's den, another familiar story in the scriptures, found in Daniel chapter 20. Daniel was old in years. He has served Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon and Babylonia, but now the Persians have taken over. And Daniel in his old age does not do follow the rules that are set up to trap him, which are you must pray to the god of Persia, which is the Persian emperor, uh, Darius, I believe, at the time. Daniel doesn't make a big hullabaloo about it, but continues to pray to the god, his god, Yahweh, the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Darius is made aware of the law and is trapped, and he must fling Daniel into the lion's den, because that's the rule. If you don't follow my rule, Darius says, or worship me, I'm going to throw you into the lion's den. And all night, Darius is worried. He probably gets no sleep because he was trapped. He hated being trapped by his own commitment because he liked Daniel. He liked the old man, Daniel. 
And so it says this in verse 19 of chapter 20. Darius then at the break of day, Darius arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The emperor of Persia cries out in anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angels and shut the mouths of lions, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in God. (coughs) It didn't turn out too well with... uh, Daniel's accusers. You can read that later. But then Darius does this startling thing in verse 25 of the same chapter. It says this, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth. And this is what he writes. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. This is a song now. During forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. And his dominion shall be. Uh, his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of lions. Imagine that. A blessed person, Daniel. Through his obedience. Blesses an unblessed person. In this case, the ruler of the, of the empire, Darius who in that case then, the most powerful ruler of the year at that time, the unblessed Darius, blesses everyone else in his empire, all the nations of the earth. You see this? Blessed to be a blessing. We see it in Joseph's actions. We see it in David's actions. We see it in Daniel's actions. Blessed to be a blessing was not new to the Israelites, but present in all that happened with them. So uh, we can now understand why Simeon's song over the baby Jesus is not surprising whatsoever. This is something that God had been doing since Genesis 12. And Simeon is just simply echoing what has been done for millennia. I see your salvation, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and your glory, the glory of your people, Israel, Lord. So that's the blessed. But what are the blessings? What is it? Well, if we look at Simeon's words, we see it's God's salvation. We see it's prepared publicly, present, present in the presence of your people. And it's presented broadly, all the Gentiles and the Jews and the Israelites together. That's everyone. So it's a salvation, it's public, and it's broad. It's a light of revelation to the Gentiles and Israel's glory all at the same time. We see what the blessing is in the words to Abram. God says, I'm going to make you a great nation or a great name. It's going to be noticed. There will be fame brought with this, but a certain kind of fame. God says to Abram, I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those that curse you. He's going to provide and protect the ones he blesses. But Abram's job in this blessing is to be a blessing and to bless all the families of the world, all the nations of the world. 
So there is an upside to the blessing. The upside will not mean that there will be no adversity. It also comes with an expectation, obedience, the act of being a blessing. You might think that this is out of bounds on God's part, but that would be to misunderstand the gospel, which I'll get to later. These words that God says to Abram and echoes in Simeon's song is considered and in fact is the covenant God made with Abram and the Israelite nation. This was God's first foray into understanding that into that understanding and commitment. So it would seem that the blessing could be anything that brings life and truth to a person, from something as simple as a cup of water to the thirsty, to knowledge about God and everything in between. Both are needed. The communication of God's word and the meeting of needs. This is a both and, not an either or. To boil, but to boil down the idea, what would the ultimate blessing for one who has not been blessed, or who has been blessed by God, to do for one who has not been blessed by God? What would be the ultimate blessing for someone who has been blessed? I've been blessed. For one who hasn't been blessed, would fame or riches be a blessing for that person? They do have appeal. It sure would be nice to have fame and riches, but then. If we look at possible examples today of fame and richness, I'm not so convinced that's an ultimate advantage. (laughs) What about great intellect or perhaps beauty? What about those? Again, it would be nice, but where do we have examples of that being ultimately beneficial? Few to none. Well, really none. Beauty is fleeting, and riches can be taken out by moths. But how about the true knowledge of meaning and purpose found in a restored relationship with the Creator God who made us all and loved us and wished for us to be with Him forever? That fame or riches or great intellect or beauty wouldn't matter. Only the knowledge and belief that God is God and that there is no other and we are His. Would that be the ultimate blessing? I hope you see my point. The ultimate blessing would be to know God. My favorite quote from Hans Ruckmacher, uh, art historian of the 20th century Christian, said, Jesus did not come to make us Christian. He came to make us fully human. To be fully human is to be restored into a relationship with the God of the universe. What about being a blessing? So we've looked at the blessed. We've looked at the blessing. What about being a blessing? Well, we've seen from Simeon's that the blessing is broad and public. It's interesting With this, just an aside, how Christianity gets accused of being a narrow religion. (laughs) But then how narrow? When you have verses like this, you've presented it before all peoples. Boy, you are so narrow. Well, yes and no. How narrow was the crucifixion? Was it done in hiding? Was it done in a closed room? in a dungeon under the earth. It was done on a hill. In public, it was a spectacle. We're very narrow. There is something also dividing and difficult. Look at verses 35. Look at verse 35 in uh, Simeon's words here, where he says to Mary and Joseph, uh, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many, this is verse 34, in Israel, 
and for a sign that is opposed. And then verse 34, and a sword will pierce through your own soul so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. This message carries with it hurt. (laughs) It ultimately got hurt in Christ, but this is what this message is. Now remember in my last point, I mentioned obedience as important to the blessing. And this implied in the word. This is implied in the words of Abram, where uh, words to Abram from God, where he says, "You shall be a blessing, and also all the families of the earth will be blessed through you." However, there seems to be problems with the original agreement. Israel ends up not fulfilling its part due to their disobedience. There are two ways God dealt with Israel when they didn't share the blessing. They were either pressed into doing the service of the blessing, or He took it away. The best example of this from Scripture I recently came across when Sarah and I were on our trip out to Texas and we went to my sister-in-law's, my in-law's church uh, in Prosper, Texas. There was reference to a verse in Ezekiel 36 that really highlighted this for me. It's found in Ezekiel. The verse that was highlighted was Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27 that says this. Could be familiar verses. They were to me. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove your, the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. It's a great verse for Christian Christmas time. Jesus coming means our hearts of stone will be made flesh and God's spirit will guide us. Amen to that. But as I, want, as I am wont to do when a verse is referenced, I look at the preceding verses of the chapter in Ezekiel, which said this. Very interesting. I was, as I was thinking about this sermon, it says this in verse 22 of Ezekiel 36. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And that's where he goes into the verse, and I will give you a new heart. That's where that verse comes. So God says through Ezekiel that Israel, you have not blessed the nations as I told you to. You have profaned me among the nations. But I will change that, God says to them. I will judge your profanity as a result. And as a result, the nations will know that I am God, blessed to be a blessing. More than that, I will restore you, God says. And this is where God talks about hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. But then I didn't stop reading there. I went and read the verses after that verses about hearts of stone and hearts of flesh, which said this. So it continues. Verse 28. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. Sound familiar? And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will, and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer this grace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, 
and you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord. Let that be known. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, listen to this, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places to shall be rebuilt. And the land that was desolate shall be tilled instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And then they will say, this land that was a desolate, that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste and the desolate and the ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. God blessed the Israelites. They didn't obey, but God was still committed to blessed to be in a blessing. He said, I'm going to correct you before the nations. And when they see that, the nations will know that I am God. And this is how the correction will go. I will take your heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh. I will take my spirit and I will give it to you. And you will be able to walk in obedience. Does that sound familiar? Acts chapter 2. Then he goes even further. And he goes back into the heaven and new heaven and new earth. And I will fill the cities. And I will make them clean. And I will give the fields abundance so that you will not be hungry ever again. Isn't that exciting? Even in Israel's disobedience, God will fulfill his promise to Abram from Genesis 12. And what a fulfillment. It's going to be like the Garden of Eden. Now remember earlier I mentioned how it might seem out of bounds for God to expect us to hold up Israel's end of the bargain. I mean, after all, isn't the gospel free? Didn't Jesus just do it all? Well, yes, and that's true. And by that question, the point is made, even back in the Old Testament, with one of the very people we are talking about this morning, Abram. In Genesis 15, I won't read it. You can read it yourself. There was an odd interaction between God and Abraham. Remember, Abraham was the first one. He said, I'm blessing you, and you be a blessing. So three chapters later, there was this odd little interaction with God. Abram asked for confirmation that God would do what he said he was going to do. Abram was doubting. So, are you going to do this? And in response, God asked Abram to gather a variety of animals. This is really weird. Cut them in two. Ow. And then lay them split apart on the ground with room in the middle. It's very gruesome. But that was for a reason, and you'll see. Then after waiting for a long time for God to show up, Abraham gets tired from his work and falls asleep amongst this macabre scene in front of him. While asleep, the Bible says God shows up as a smoking brazier and a torch and floats between the split animals and then leaves. What's going on here? This was a way that a covenant was sealed in ancient times between two parties. When two parties went to agree on something, animals were taken, they were cut apart, and set apart from it so places could be walked in between. And the two people would say, we agree to this. And they would walk between the two people, or two uh, split animals, the two people there. They were saying, I will agree to this, and if I, if I break this agreement, may I become like the split animals here. May I be killed. This was a severe agreement. 
May, may the result of the animals fall on my head if this covenant is broken. But God caused Abram to fall asleep. Abram did not walk between the animals with God. Who walked between the animals? Only God. What was God saying? If I break this covenant, may I become like the broken animals. Did God break the covenant? No. If Abraham breaks the covenant, it won't fall on him. It will fall on me. Fast forward thousands of years. Jesus goes to the cross. By this action, they were stating publicly that a covenant was going to be made and that the severity of it fall upon their heads as death of the animals did to them. God wants our obedience and provides everything we need to do just that. Our obedience is not to fulfill the covenant, it is to reflect the covenant already fulfilled in Christ. Knowing this theme, this blessed to be a blessing, should not make it difficult to understand Simeon's song and Anna's faithfulness about the baby Jesus. It is the glory of his people, a light of revelation to his people, Israel, and light of revelation to Gentiles. Psalm 98.2-3 says this, The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Blessed to be a blessing. Merry Christmas, brothers and sisters. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for blessing us to be a blessing. And Lord, thank you for being the one who took that upon themselves even when we couldn't fulfill it. And that now we can fulfill that blessed to be a blessing because you have allowed the severity and the consequence of that covenant to fall upon your head. You took the death of the split animals to make it possible for us to be able to live of a blessed to be a blessing life. And we celebrate that arrival this day, the arrival of you as a small babe. And we're grateful for it. Please help us not to forget that. We pray this in your name. Amen.